0: Hey my loves, how are you? Where are you? I'm recording this episode in Nam, on the beautiful, black and unceded sovereign lands of the Bunurong and the Wawurrung people. Who am I? I am a Karanga woman, born and raised in Harare, Zimbabwe, and now I'm living in so-called Melbourne, Australia. So, uh, what exactly is this? It's a podcast, a history podcast called Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye. You'll get to experience the world through a black woman's gaze. Which black woman? Well, me. My name is Sister Zai, as in S-I-S-T-A, Sister Zai, Z-A-I. I curate and produce this podcast. I'm also your host, and every week I'll share stories, interviews, and views, During this first season of Life Seen Through a Sister's Eye podcast, we're looking at one critical question, and that question is, what does it mean to be African in the 21st century? So you're neither African nor Black. Well, I bet most of the culture you love and consume is African and Black. So listen up, and let's dive in been ages let me tell you i have been on such a beautiful adventure into the world of learning and like literally formal education so um i think the last time i spoke to you all would have been in um would have been in January. I almost lost my recorder (laughs) there. The last time I spoke to you all would have been around about January. And the prompt was, you know, what's your relationship to land? So we're going to pick up that prompt in this particular episode and continue on our journey. I've made a couple of uh, decisions about how to um, structure the episodes. So... Every... I'm going to alternate, rather, to make it easier to understand. I'll alternate between a session where we focus on the writing prompt, um, and then I'll focus on a session where we focus on um, the next next part of the story that's unfolding. And that story, of course, is all related to me unpacking, undoing, looking deeper into this inherited identity of black bougie and uh, questioning capitalism as an African who is speaking back into a system that has pretty much built its wealth by Robbing the African continent <laughs> Let's just call a spade a spade Whether that's uh, robbing the natural resources of the continent Or robbing the cultural resources of the continent So that's really the direction that we're tending to And everybody is welcome into this discussion It's a discussion we all have to have Because it's a discussion that affects all of us So on this beautiful full moon night i'm not sure what star sign we're in i do know that we've just gone into cancer but i'm not sure whether the moon is in cancer or in another star sign i haven't looked at the astrology today i'm still a baby and all of that but uh we're coming out of eclipse season we might still be in it still learning who knows um and all of that is relevant because i'm talking about land In the six months since I gave you that prompt, I've really been developing a relationship with my backyard. I rent accommodation and there's a beautiful backyard and it's not far from a nature reserve as well. So I'm quite fortunate in that regard. As you also know from previous episodes, I love to go to the ocean. I love spending time by the ocean as well. So I'm also called by water, large bodies of water. But recently, I found myself really staring at the sky a lot. Just a changing winter sky. So beautiful. I mean, usually I absolutely dread just a Melbourne winter or not winter. You know, there's been a lot of frost on the ground in the mornings when I get up. Um, so it looks like it will be a chilly, a chilly winter. Um, the days are still really quite warm. And so, where was I going with all of this? I'm like digressing, I always digress, you know me. Um, the connection between land and the heavens, and it drew me to, that, that thought itself draws me to the ancient cometic, uh pairing of the sky goddess. Uh, mother sky, the mother of the cosmos, the mother who gave birth to the Milky Way itself, um, one of the ancestral deities or entities um, that preceded the gods or the divinities, uh, who are all aspects of nature, nature outside of us, nature within us. Stay with me, stay with me. If you don't get it, don't worry. You'll get it one day. Just listen. Um, And Mother Sky is known as Nut. Nut. And then we have Father Earth. I remember saying that once to a Senegalese friend of mine. And he laughed. He's like, what you talking about? No such thing as Father Earth. Everybody knows it's Mother Earth. I'm like, well, actually, the ancient Kemetic folk used to call mother sky they used to pair mother sky with father earth so and i think when i was reading credo muto as well in his um indaba my children his book indaba my children which is all about african mythology the earth might have also been a masculine energy force so we're just talking about masculine and feminine energies which of course can be embodied by a person however they wish to identify in terms of their gender Um, so the land is something that I'm thinking about a lot and of course living here on stolen black land I'm very very conscious that there are stories that have been told here for over 60,000 years um, that give meaning to what land means here meaning beyond the capitalist idea of land that we all we're all on that program now you know land is something that you own I mean that's a really big issue here at the moment I think if people are living in large cities with gentrification and all of this like we really feel that pressure of the system of you know Renting and trying to find a place that's affordable, and you know, there's a lot of stories right now with people where I think our relationships to land are being challenged. Do we buy? Do we um, do we move into the country? Do we move away from the city? Um, all sorts of decisions around our ability to survive, and I I kind of find it interesting that. This relationship that we have with uh, the overarching system of money um, and land, where money connects to and into land as a capital resource, is changing our relationship to it. So bringing me back to the full moon, or rather bringing us back to the full moon. I've been making friends with this backyard And on the new moon, which is the time when you're supposed to set intentions for um, an energy that you would like to grow in your life, I set an intention to um, become more observant of the backyard, of of the wildlife that comes into the backyard. Like I said, I live close to a nature strip So a nature reserve, I should say So there are a lot of birds around here. I think you've heard them in the recordings But I've never actually looked to see what kind of birds they are um, And I've been spotting some really beautiful friends coming into the garden They're really gorgeous with all their feathers And um, they love to eat the worms here So I think this this earth must be really rich in insects and um, I've seen a few flying ants and I'm like isn't it the wrong season for flying ants um, but ants are always a good sign that the earth is in, in, in good shape, well aerated um, and I'm thinking of growing a garden and what happened is when I put that intention out, a friend of mine actually offered me two vegetable boxes because they have to move out of their property in a very short amount of time and it's just beautiful how all of these plants are finding me since I set that intention so I'm in a shifting relationship right now in how I see land yes I am renting so it's you know I still have that relationship of capital. I still have to think, well, you know, and I I have those. I'm like, am I going to be able to make rent this week, (laughs) this month? (laughs) How am I going to make rent this month? I still have to work, you know, to um, have access to a place to call home, um, which is the reality for a lot of us in the world now. But it wasn't always that way, was it? We didn't always have to pay for water. We didn't always have to pay to live somewhere. We didn't always have to pay for food. And so when I set the writing prompts, so let's just get to those. Let's get right into those. Uh, I wanted us to pick between two and two writing prompts that would determine what our current and always evolving relationship to land might be. Now, those are just two prompts they, you could have a completely different way of relating to land go for it run with it I'm just here to guide you honestly I'm not here to tell you what to think so let's uh let's cut to a quick um excerpt from that last episode with that writing prompt and we'll take the stories and the storytelling from there It is time for your writing prompt. So this one is going to be another opportunity for us to study ourselves and to really get to know ourselves and be honest. And transparency and vulnerability. So this one is also, in addition to all that, preparation for episode eight. I will dive deeper into the definition of success, but from the perspective of a writer who rejects the bougie lifestyle and challenges a society that's just coming out of colonization to embrace complete liberation. So, more about the Zimbabwean writer next week. I'm going to offer you, in preparation for that, I'm offering you two reflective journaling prompts, and you only have to choose one to concentrate on for the next two weeks. So, just choose the one that you vibe with the most, the one that pops. Right off the bat, no judgment, only curiosity. I repeat, no judgment or h- harsh self-criticism, okay? That's not going to get us anywhere. Proceed with grace, with compassion, with curiosity. Just with, just be curious about your internal landscape and what's going on. They're just like, oh, that's interesting. What's that doing there, right? That, that's the vibe. There's no right or wrong answer. It's just a story. It's a story you've been telling yourself. It's a story you've been told. You've you've kind of inhaled and held on to and if you don't like your story you actually have the power to change the story and become what you prefer it to be right so don't don't get too hung up on what you see what would be amazing is as you reflect on your selected question try and relate it to the land where you currently live work and play because if you can contextualize the work this journaling this letter to myself um to the environment that you're actually in it will become very personable and will become more tangible process right um and so everywhere you go because everywhere you go this week you'll be able to reflect on the question and a word may pop up or you may take a photo or a particular song may come to mind or something. And, and these are all responses to the, to the prompts. Just make a note of it in your letter to yourself. Okay, you ready for the two questions? Yeah? Okay, here we go. So remember, pick the one that most resonates and journal about it over the next two weeks. Zero judgment. Zero judgment. The first question. See if this resonates with you. When you talk about land to yourself or to others... Do you speak of land as something you can own, as something that belongs to you, to the exclusion of all others, unless you, the person with the title deed, grants them a right to enter, live or make a profit from that land? So what's the nature of your relationship to this land? Is it commodity, investment? What's the relationship that you have to this land where your home is currently located? Really describe that relationship. Just not go an investment, but how do you treat that land knowing that, right? How do you think about it? How do you talk about it? So the second question, see if this one vibes with you. This one vibes with you more than the first one, then pick this one. When you talk about land to yourself or to others, do you speak of yourself as belonging to the land in the same sense that a child belongs to a particular set of parents? Or a particular parent. What is the nature of your relationship with this parent, this land where your home is currently located? Right? How do you relate to this land? Okay. Have fun engaging in some self-study. Do what you will in terms of documentation. Like I said, voice notes, painting, photography, collage, song. Whatever comes most naturally to you. Personally, I prefer to journal, but love to see what you do with the prompt. We'll be right back. back. So here's a little more background about these journaling prompts. Are you ready? It's story time. Get comfy. I write poetry to help me remember the epic stories I am called to write. Ten years ago, I wrote a poem which is still awakening ancestral memory and intergenerational wisdom around how I relate ideas, concepts, experiences in my relationships to things like land family or collective living and success. I based this forthcoming booklet or novella, which I call for visionaries and rain dancers on a poem called The Conversation is Always the Same. I shared this poem and the booklet with some of my podcast guests ahead of their recording sessions because I really love to receive critical feedback and insight from folks who are doing similar work with their own creativity. If I lived in the country where I was born and raised, this digital interaction would happen in real time. But because I'm an African living overseas, I rely on the internet for access to these really important creative discussions with folks who are placed and positioned to read between the lines and hear the unspoken. Basically, I was a bit tired of getting lost in translation. And because these folks have that power to truly hear where I'm coming from and what I'm saying, their assessment allows me to step out of my own conditioned interpretation and see the issue from multiple perspectives. But in the process, I don't lose myself or my own story. Rather, my story begins to exist within a larger patchwork quilt of stories. Ahead of our conversation about Namuto Marichetta's literary fiction, I shared an early draft of my manuscript with Tinashe Mshakavano. I wanted to provide him with some context so he could appreciate my perspective, the questions that I would ask and understand my motivations for interviewing him specifically about this writer and specifically about how the politics of refusal played out in this writer's literary career and his life. In my own manuscript, I write about my transformed definition of success and the subsequent lifestyle and professional career path which came along with my new definition of success. This lifestyle and career path, which I am still actively creating, are both deeply rooted in my soul's purpose. Sometimes I feel like it's such a bougie privilege to choose a career path and, you know, a spiritual path, that allows me to stay in deep alignment with who I am and how I can keep showing up in the world authentically, not as a colonized subject, but as a sovereign being who is actively returning colonial baggage back to sender so I can get on with the radical dreaming. Because let's face it, the systems that we live in can keep us trapped. Okay, this may not all make sense to you right now, but It will as a podcast series unfolds and as you do your own deep work through the journaling prompts. But what I really want to say here is that this decision to follow my sole purpose placed me and still places me at odds with the value system in which I was raised and socialized, whether that's at school, at home, in the world of work. The version of me that I am allowing to emerge is... Countercultural, for now at least and there are days where I walk around feeling like the ugly duckling but this instinct to live my truth which I suppose looks like going against the grain an instinct where I define success on my own terms in relationship to what benefits a collective, even though it seems very disruptive to the collective, is precisely what drew me to Dambuja as a writer. As my poem reveals, this is a tough journey. This going against the grain is exhausting and frightening because it triggers a backlash, not just outside of me, but also within me because of deep-seated and unresolved ancestral trauma, which erupts, exposing all of my inherited assumptions and stories around financial security and stability. Or I should say, the type of stability which does not turn a person into a burden on the family. Because you see, in a society where the family is the only source of social security, and a very important leveraging point for each of us to sequentially escape and then turn around to pull the other one out of the quicksands of impoverishment that threaten to swallow all of us whole success is always more than just individual success is both collective and it is an ancestral victory a victory against colonization As my poem and the forthcoming booklet reveal, colonialism deeply transformed our collective and individual relationships to land. Colonizers created stories so that black Africans were depicted in ways that served to make us and turn us into an underclass. A slave wage labor system for the colony evolved, out of these stories and as the emerging colonial capitalist patriarchy used these stories to create laws, policies and regulations that in turn force black men to work as labourers. The system also banned our earth-based ceremonies and rituals, defining many of our practices as demonic. As colonialism spread, our connections to ourselves, to each other, and to the land shifted radically into a new direction, into a new narrative, a narrative directed by capitalism, if you want to personify the system. Once the people were left with no other option than starvation, many, of course, turned to exploiting the earth in order to survive the very earth that they had worshipped just generations before. I wonder if we have any record of this type of trauma and what it does to a person and their descendants. If you'd like to read more about how encounters with colonialism changed Africans' relationships to self, each other, and the land, I can recommend two books. One is A Spirit of Intimacy by Sobomfo Somme, and the other by her partner, Malidoma Somme, is called of water and the spirit so when i ask about relationship to land in terms of how you define success i'm coming from this very personal and collective historic experience where land became property land became something about ownership a strategy for survival within a colonial capitalist, patriarchal paradigm that never meant for us to survive. Since property is traded for money, education becomes the quickest means to break out of a system of imposed impoverishment, to rise above the slave wage labor, the blue collar work, And become a white collar person who can afford to own a home or land, and from that ownership, build more wealth and create stability for entire extended families. This is the way it works. Indeed, when adults saw me reading a book, especially during the school holidays, they always praised me and encouraged me to keep studying and learning. We have a saying you eat books. I was one of those We always celebrated academic excellence And we ridiculed and punished those who failed to achieve within the system Which is very sad that we did that But we, we did that My grandmothers would often say to me that Look, the old ways are gone So you must make a path for yourself now in the new way Their advice always puzzled me Because I had no clue what they meant by the old ways And they could see the confusion on my face and they would laugh it away saying, oh, she no longer knows. But even then I detected pain in their voice and in their eyes. So I sensed something valuable and priceless had been disappeared like it never existed. And although they never told me the stories, I actually carry the pain of that silencing and erasure within my own body indeed i only understood what they meant by new way because i was trained to excel at public exams and to always come first in class i cannot tell you how much uh, extracurricular tuition i had if i was not in school i was with a tutor studying something because no matter the cost i had to come first because the world did not give black folks any second chances especially not women And digging trenches was not an option for women. That's the kind of gendered world I grew up in. So under this new path that my grandmother has always alluded to, success I learned very quickly, looked like an expensive private school education, which could guarantee my access to a university degree from an elite university. And following on from that, I would have access to a white-collar career a glistening career in a traditional profession and I would find a respectable institution to be my employer. During that time I would buy a large house in a wealthy low-density suburb, I would buy many big cars, have a lifelong marriage to an equally successful partner from a good family and our children would grow up repeating the cycle but with intergenerational wealth under their belt. That's the story we were told. Those were our aspirations at any rate. And as an adult looking back on this story, which is the quote unquote born free dream, I see that a concept of land as property, a commodity and an investment is the vital linchpin that holds together this new way and its vision of success. So coming back to the question which is driving this entire first series of Life Seen Through a Desire podcast, what does it mean to be African in the 21st century? This is a central question for this series and I'm arguing that there should always be a rich diversity of answers to this question. I'm merely presenting mine and this is what it is. What does it mean to be African in the 21st century? Well, I belong to a generation of people whom older folks from back home in Zimbabwe referred to as born frees. I mean, look, I wasn't exactly born free, not technically, because I was born under colonial rule, under apartheid. But it was 10 months shy of national independence. Not that anybody knew national independence was just around the corner. But... Technically, I guess I am born free because I can only remember life after national independence. And because of that, I never suffered the racialized indignities of color bar, which is apartheid, segregation in housing, in work, and in education. I can understand why folks lumped me in that born free category that first generation of Zimbabweans who could fully enjoy all the fruits of their labor and the land again look not all of us could and that's definitely another story for another episode and it's part of Abuja buddha story but sticking with this prompt what is this dream of freedom though and how does land connect to it what does it mean to be african in the 21st century To be born free, according to this definition that I was given meant I was free in my own land, the land of my ancestors. This freedom meant I could enter and learn in the colonizer school system, oddly, work any job in their system, and climb as high as anyone else on their corporate ladders, live in any of the suburbs and restaurants that were reserved just for colonizers without any fear of discrimination. I could do all of this as long as I upheld the silent codes of civilized behavior, right? That's the catch. The dream of freedom freed us to attain success and enjoy the land. But I often wonder on whose terms and under what definition of land, what type of relation to land and success and at what cost to our souls. What does it mean to be African in the 21st century? There should always be a rich diversity of answers to this question. Born free means I stopped playing in the rain and turning cartwheels in the grass because when I reached high school, it was deemed to be unladylike behavior, worthy of detention, punishment. Detention involved manual labor in the hot sun, side by side with, quote unquote, the help. The gardeners, always black and male, Or inside, cleaning the classrooms with the mates, always black and female. Any born free who ended up as the help, or closely associated with the help, is seen as a failure. Enter classism and elitism. Detention reinforced racialized capitalism. And with young black ladies in training, now entering into these white supremacist schools we were essentially being taught to be elitist that's my opinion we tacitly learned to look down on people who looked like us we could have shared the same totem come from the same country as these people the same ancestral lands but they didn't have the bougie clothes the accent the shoes and other privileges and i suppose As young as we were then, out of fear of humiliation and exclusion, because, you know, all you want to do is fit in, we sought desperately to distinguish ourselves by clinging to the rules of etiquette and speech that were being taught in the rarefied air. Because after all, we were black people living amongst white folk whose ancestors had deemed us uncivilized and only worthy for manual labor. And here we are, or there we were, black insiders making our way up their corporate ladders. Our association of manual labor with punishment created a growing disdain for working with the land. At least that's my experience. I reached a stage where I could only appreciate nature when, like us domesticated ladies in the making, nature presented itself on a glamping safari or as a well-manicured and tamed pretty garden. Look, I love a pretty garden and I definitely love glamping as much as the next person. And I'm sure our ancestors did too. But this is a different experience where, like us ladies in the making, nature or land had to be tamed and subordinated in order to be aesthetically pleasing. And so the land no longer had a word to say or an opinion to give. It was just there for the taking, on our terms and for our needs. It would be many decades before I could begin to shift this relationship to myself, to my people and to land. This podcast is a document of that journey back to center, love, as I heal the colonial trauma which severed this relationship during the era of my grandparents and my great grandparents' generations repercussions that continue to reverberate. In 2019, I remember sitting with family I had not seen for a long time and was so beautiful. And I was taking in just how much I had changed since leaving law school with the intention to become a poet. At that time in 2019, I was already feeling the pull towards building a garden and I just hadn't answered it because I needed to find the right place. During our time together, someone made a joke about gardening and the entire room of white collar professionals erupted in laughter, except for me. I was fascinated then that once upon a time, I would have laughed at that joke too, but Essentially, I would have laughed at something our grandparents and parents had done. Not just to provide for us, but also to ground their energies. In 2019, I was keenly aware that this relationship to land... is so important because without land, we could not exist. There would be no food, water. Yet... All the labor done in relation to land is framed as lower class, and as a sign that he was struggling financially and therefore a failure. I found it fascinating. So tell me, what is your relationship to land? I'll catch you next week for more of this unfolding story as we hear from Dambudzo Marichera's body of work as seen and spoken of by Tinashe Mshakawana, an archivist and a curator for a collection called Reading Zimbabwe. If you have any comments, questions, opinions or requests, please send me an email. Um, All the information is in the show notes. Also, I encourage you to join the mailing list for updates about new podcast episodes and uh, leave us a review. Subscribe and leave us a review. It's always lovely to see that you are responding and how you are responding to the podcast. And about the mailing list, do join it and don't worry because I respect your privacy. I'll always request your permission before sending you any other marketing and sales related information because like seriously, who needs spam, right? (laughs) Right. Create a beautiful day, my loves. Thank you for listening. Catch you soon. Two weeks time.